that in order to meet this moment, we have to recognize our California comeback. I think in my time, this is a, a very unusual and a very unique time. What I'm saying about the state today, it's an enterprising, modernizing, pluralizing, unionizing nation state. Hello and welcome to California Nation. I'm Gil Duran, the California Opinion Editor of the Sacramento Bee, here with Lauren Gustus, our Executive Editor and President. Thanks for having me, Gil. Happy to be here. Today we're talking about the case of Daryl Richards. He was a 19-year-old Sacramento man shot to death by Sacramento police in September of 2018. To many, it seemed like an open and shut case. Richard had reportedly pointed a gun at some people while walking down Broadway and wearing a mask. When police confronted him, he escaped into a backyard in Curtis Park. Over three hours after a search, police found him hiding under some stairs and shot him to death. Officials said that Richards had pointed a gun at the officers. But the gun turned out to be a pellet gun, and there's no body cam footage that shows Richards pointing the gun because the officer with the clearest view of him had his body camera turned off. Nonetheless, the Sacramento District Attorney's Office cleared the officers of any wrongdoing. But Richards' family has questions. They say Richards was struggling with mental health issues and should have been handled differently. A lawyer for the family says Sacramento police should have de-escalated the situation. Tim Foster also has some questions about that night. Police killed Richards in Foster's backyard. Like Richards' family, Foster wonders if deadly force was necessary. He also is concerned about what he says was false information given to him by police. Foster did not see the shooting, but he heard it. He says police told him they had recovered a suicide note in Richards' backpack, but he says it later turned out to be Richards' homework. He also says police told him body camera footage showed Richards pointing a gun at officers, but that footage doesn't exist. You know, Gil, it's really interesting. We spent some time with Tim Foster earlier this week, and it's clear that Daryl Richards' death in his backyard has stayed with him, as one might expect. It's an unfathomable event to witness. But the interesting thing to me was that Tim Foster as much time as he has spent reflecting on uh, the night of September 6, 2018, he feels as if others should have taken more time for reflection as the events of that evening unfolded. Tim Foster says three and a half hours passed from the time the first call came in to the time when Daryl Richards was killed. Tim Foster thinks there was time to follow other means that may exist when we talk about de-escalation. Um, he wonders why a dog that was sent in to sniff out Daryl Richards uh, was not used to subdue him. He wonders why police didn't use non-lethal weapons. He is concerned that there was a suicide note in Daryl Richards' backpack, and then there wasn't a suicide note in Daryl Richards' backpack and that others were told that same thing. And then he wonders why the body cam was turned off for the only officer who had the clear view of Daryl Richards when he was shot. He also wonders why, given the space and time that passed that evening, he and others were not um, evacuated. Why weren't they removed from the area? Uh, was there any danger um, that may have presented to others who were in their homes that evening and early into the next morning? And as you've noted, Gil, this is complicated, right? Um, Daryl Richards had a pellet gun. It was night. It is hard to see. 
um, especially earlier on in the process when Daryl Richards was showing that gun on Broadway. Um, however, Tim Foster believes there was time and that time may have resulted in a different outcome if it was used differently. And he wants someone to look again at what happened. That's right. And he's coming forward now because with all of the protests around the death of George Floyd and increased scrutiny on police brutality and police killings, he felt that maybe now someone would listen to him. So here's a little bit of our conversation with Tim Foster. When this first happened, I absolutely believed what the police told us. You know, the minute the shooting happened, like two minutes after, they knocked on our front door and they sent an officer in to sit with my wife and I. Uh, he told us basically because he didn't want us to talk about this and sort of uh, coordinate our stories. We asked him what happened. He said, well, you know, it, it was just seemed like a very straightforward story. Armed man, something happens, the police chase him. He hops into these different yards, he ends up in our yard, they fired up on him. It seems like a very straightforward story. And the next morning, they brought us into the police department. Mind you, this all happened at about three o'clock in the morning by the time they finally encountered him, I think. Um, so the next morning, we were taken out of the police department and separated and, and gave our statements. And I don't remember who told me this, but someone, at that point, I had said, do you know, did they recover a weapon? Did you have a gun? And someone did tell us, yes, they recovered a weapon. So again, I felt like this was a fairly straightforward case of a person who had uh, been chased, had encountered the police, had a gun, and was, was killed by the police. Well, I think it was that afternoon that the story changed and it was discovered that he did not actually have a real gun. He had, I think it was a pellet gun. Foster told us he became concerned after the story about the gun changed. But he said that wasn't the only part of the police department story that began to shift. And so maybe a day or two after um, this whole incident, we talked to this officer and the officer told us, hey, this is really a strange story, but we recovered... Mr. Richard's backpack, and I think in the video footage, you could see that he's carrying a backpack when they first encounter him, and he, as he's running, he throws the backpack. Yeah. And so they had recovered his backpack, and in his backpack, they had found what they described as a suicide note that very clearly described his plan to commit suicide by cop, and that the reason he had pointed the gun at them is because he wanted to die. And they said, yeah, this, you know, it's very clear and we're gonna make this public soon. So, uh, you know, just be aware that this can happen. So the gun turned out to be fake, but now police told Foster and his wife that they had discovered a suicide note in Daryl Richard's backpack. To Foster, it sounded like definitive evidence that the police may have had no choice but to shoot. Then, Foster says, the story changed again. My wife called the sergeant again and asked about some other things and then asked about this and they said oh by the way that it turned out that that wasn't the case it wasn't a suicide note it was homework and that was the first time i really had a red flag because i just thought what possible homework could be mistaken for a suicide note that you were going to commit suicide by cop i mean i just do not understand first off it'd be really interesting to see if they ever released that quote unquote homework because I was never aware of that being made public. 
And I would really be curious to see if any rational person could look at the paperwork that they recovered and take away from that, that this was a suicide mm -hmm. by cop note. So they said that that was a mistake. There was no suicide by cop note. It was actually homework, but that they had reviewed the body cam footage from the officers. And again, there were four officers who came into the backyard and other officers. So there was plenty of body cam footage. And they told us, we've reviewed the footage. It, once the footage comes out, it very, very clearly shows that Mr. Richards pointed the gun at the officers before they fired and that they had no choice but to fire to protect themselves. And once this becomes, once we show this footage, all questions will be raised. It will be very clear that there was no other choice. So again, we took them on their word. We took them a good faith and waited. And then they released the body footage, body cam footage. And of course there was no body cam footage. The one officer who had a view of Daryl Richards, his body cam was either not working or was turned off, but it was, no, it was not there. What do you think needs to happen here? What would make you feel like your concerns have been, been heard? Well, I think the first thing that needs to happen is we need to look at what happened in this incident. Now, unlike the Stephon Clark shooting, which happened very quickly, you know, there was a call, the police were chasing him, they encountered him, they misread the situation and killed him. This took three and a half hours from the time that there were the first calls to the time that they shot him. There was no quote unquote urgency. There was plenty of time to follow their own handbook, which as I understand it, indicated that in, in this sort of a situation, they should have sent the dog in to attack him, which the dog was on site. The dog was looking around my yard, found him. My understanding of the police handbook in this situation is that they should have sent that dog in to in engage him. They did not. I also understand that they should have used non-lethal, from reading their handbook, they should have used non-lethal uh, weapons. They should have used, I think, flashbangs, or you couldn't use tear gas because it's outside, or maybe you could, but I don't know that that would have been a good fit. But they certainly could have used beanbag things. All things that seem obvious to me and I mean, we've all seen the movies. We've all seen the scene where someone is surrounded and the police say, we've got you surrounded, put your hands up, come out, you'll be fine. They didn't say a damned word to him until two seconds before they shot him. They knew where he was. The, if you look at what the police released, they were following him with a heat tracking camera uh, for hours, as I understand. So they basically knew where he was. Yet no attempt was ever made ever, ever, ever to de-escalate this situation. And I want to know why. And I think that we need to look at the entire police procedure. Their handbook reads great. Sure, use, use a dog, use non-lethal weapons. Well, they didn't follow the damn procedure. And again, I want to underscore to people, this was not some panic mode. I was so calm about this. I went and worked for a half hour in the middle of all of it. So... I think we need to relook at how policing happens in this city. And this should be a textbook case of what not to do. So to recap, Foster believes police failed to follow their own procedures. And he thinks Daryl Richards might still be alive today if they had. 
He wonders why police initially told him false stories about a supposed suicide note that turned out to be a homework assignment and why they told him that there was body camera footage that showed Richards pointing a gun at officers when in fact no such body camera footage exists. And you know, this seems like a case or an independent investigation of some kind might have answered some of these questions. I think Tim Foster would agree with you, Gil. Uh, and in fact, we know that he's initiated some discussions uh, with uh, local representation in his district um, and that that local representation has brought uh, proposed legislation forward. So Assemblyman Gavin McCarty has introduced a bill to establish a special office within the California Department of Justice to investigate more officer-involved shootings. This case may be example A for why we would look at um, an office like that um, being of service to uh, local communities in California. So the question is, Gil, could an independent office, if called upon, inform what we know about Daryl Richards' death? Meanwhile, though, the case will go to court. Is that correct, Gil? Yeah, definitely. It looks like the, in this case, the only independent investigation is going to take place in the form of a, of a lawsuit that Daryl Richards' family has filed against the city of Sacramento. Richards' family, like Foster, still has some lingering questions. And so they've hired John Burris, the famed Oakland civil rights attorney who specializes in police brutality cases. And he's the one who filed the lawsuit. So we gave Mr. Burris a call, and here's what he had to say. What we're really talking about is a, a mentally impaired young man uh, who seemed to be uh, having a, a crisis, and he gets killed. And the question is, was there a better way to handle this? Uh, could there have been a better effort at de-escalation? Did you have to shoot him at, at a time when you did, when you had, if you had other viable options? And that's the reason why we're suing him. Okay, thank you. So you talked about a couple of discrepancies with respect to um, whether he aimed the uh, pellet gun. Is that correct, pellet gun? Yes. Absolutely. Um, and could you dive a little deeper there and tell us just what um, uh, information you might have and how that conflicts with the police account from the scene the night of? There were uh, at least a witness uh, around the area uh, that was in a position to see uh, this claims that they had not seen the young man do what the police claimed they did. Our position, though, is, look, there was, officers had this person surrounded, they had a dog that was in there, and went in, didn't do anything, and, and from my point of view, there were ample opportunities uh, for them to engage in de-escalation by notifying who they were, telling everyone to that there, so that we were in a position of, frankly, uh, uh, to uh, evaluate whether the shooting was proper or not. But from our point of view, it looked as if that this was kind of suspicious because it didn't make sense to us uh, in terms of looking at this case that a person um, who's hiding, hiding, hiding from the police within all of a sudden, uh, uh, when confronted, would point what appeared to be a pellet gun at the officers. To me, that required uh, more uh, efforts on our part in investigation. Mr. Burris, I'd like to shift to uh, some of the materials that police initially said they recovered uh, and uh, what you might know about those materials. So when uh, the um, uh, death, the killing was first reported, police indicated that Daryl Richards had a suicide note in his backpack. And we later learned that it was his homework. Um, have you seen uh, that material? 
I personally have not seen it, but we have had discussions about it. And I know that there was always this issue about the kid trying to commit suicide. I've met with his prior lawyers uh, about it, and, and, and that lawyer indicated that there was no indication of suicide, but he did have mental uh, impaired problems. So uh, I was quite surprised when I heard that there was a suicide note when point of fact there was not one. Now, surprising that that was a suggestion. I'm not surprised at all by the contradictory or inconsistent um, statements by police as it relates to the evidence. That's just a common phenomena that we're always dealing with. So I'm never surprised when I hear that the police make a certain claim, and then that claim turned out to me be false, uh, particularly when you don't find that information out, out until much later, which is in a case like this. When we filed this lawsuit, we did not know all of these things. We just basically took the position that it seemed odd to us, and his family was very clear that he would not have tried to commit suicide. Uh, and 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 the circumstances that were in just caused us to say, look, let's let's look into this case a little bit more to see if there's something else here. Mr. Burst, there's there's a question. At least one witness to part of this incident questioned whether the Sacramento Police Department had followed its own rules in terms of handling Mr. Richards. He wondered if there wasn't some non-lethal or de-escalation tactic or the use of the dog that should have come before the shooting. Um, as far as you know, it, it, did the Sacramento Police Department follow its own rules for de-escalation in the handling of Mr. Richards? How does your lawsuit address that, that question? My lawsuit has, as part of its proof, uh, and certainly the effort is whether force was reasonable or not, Part of that question is whether the tactics that were employed by the department uh, were such that they placed the causes department of uh, the office to engage in a, a deadly force when they when it did not have to. And I say that because tactics count for everything. And in a case like this, tactics where you have a dog, you had time, you had distance, you had um, opportunity all to wake this young person out, to de-escalate them, to engage in, in more communications with them, uh, uh, to at least establish a di dialogue, particularly when you have some reason to believe uh, that he may be emotionally and mentally impaired. So for our position, yeah, there was they took some time, but they didn't take all the time they needed uh, that they could have taken. So to me, de-escalation is the primary concern here. And, and that de-escalation did not uh, include the kind of uh, efforts that were necessary because not only when you have de-escalation, you're talking about time, time. You have time and you have distance. None of these officers were in, in uh, danger. They all had uh, they were in, they had time to uh, to uh, to uh, maneuver, to keep themselves safe, and they had an opportunity to encourage uh, either uh, communications. But more importantly, they could have sent the dog in. You know, the dog in would have, in my view, would have been one that you sent in and and uh, uh, bark fine, uh, not necessarily to bite, but barking fine, uh, to at least alert the kid that the, the police were there, and then you can engage some communications with him. So from my point of view, uh, the, the practice here and what we're concerned about is the failure to de-escalate in a situation where if you had done so, you may not have had to use deadly force. And that's that's what this case is about for us. So, Lauren, this is clearly a case where there's some lingering questions and some questions that may never be answered for people like Tim Foster, who feel that they were misled by the police or given false information. Uh, there are questions about it were never answered. And we should note that Tim Foster said he did 
try to contact his local city council people. He says he wrote a letter to the police commission, never heard back. And he would have probably never said anything about this again if it hadn't been for the death of George Floyd. Do you think that the police department needs to do more to clarify what happened in this case? Do we need more answers about the inconsistencies in this story? You know, one of the things that Tim Foster said that really struck me as interesting, and we've committed to uh, taking a look at his suggestion is there was a suicide note. Remember, first and foremost, there was a suicide note, and then it turned out it wasn't a suicide note. It was his homework. And Tim Foster wants to do the right thing. You really get that from him. He said, I'd really just like to see that homework. Did it resemble a suicide note? It was a preform writing. You know, how might that mistake have been made? Um, And I think that's an interesting point. Uh, And I think it speaks to the opportunity to uh, introduce uh, some sort of mechanism that would allow us to continue the conversation around um, you know, oversight with respect to these types of cases. And I think it's important to note for, for listeners that we have reached out to the police department and we will definitely give an update if we hear back from them and have some answers on this. The question then becomes whether this would be a case where something like Assembly Bill 1506, which Assemblymember McCarty is introducing, which would establish a new office in the Department of Justice in California to investigate police shootings. Is this a case where that might have made a difference? And I'm not sure of that, and here's why. Because McCarty's bill would require uh, law enforcement officials or the DA to request the investigation. And in this case, the DA of Sacramento found the officers were justified in their shootings. So I think it would be useful for many police departments in many cases to be able to get an independent investigation from the attorney general's office. But I'm not sure if in this case, if the DA or the police did not have questions about it, whether that would have gone to the attorney general's office. You know, that's a big question there. It still leaves the power in the hands of the police. Gil, you've got some thoughts about that. And certainly as we looked at uh, Stefan Clark's killing and how that was adjudicated or investigated. Um, you shared them in the SACBI opinion pages. Do you want to spend just a minute more on um, the dynamic that exists when you are essentially asked to investigate yourself? Well, we generally ask the police to investigate themselves in this country. And if we, it's not the police department, then the district attorney uh, does the investigating. But the problem is that these groups are all politically connected. They're beholden to one another. Law enforcement unions have tremendous sway over who becomes the district attorney. Police departments generally find that their officers acted reliably or were following the rules in these use of force cases. And that now is what's at the center of, of discussion over police brutality and the role of police in our society. So it's a question as to whether, unless you have an outside independent investigative body whose job it is to prosecute officers uh, who cross the line, who break the law, who, who kill people or hurt people unnecessarily, it's not clear that you're ever going to get satisfaction from the public that that investigator has done their job. Even the attorney general gets a lot of money from law enforcement, is dependent on law enforcement for their political career. So I don't get the sense that Attorney General Javier Becerra is desiring to have the power to investigate the police. I reached out to his office to ask, and they gave a very unclear answer as to whether they would support this bill. Well, it certainly sounds like it's a topic that we'll be following as we move forward. For now, as we bring closure to this podcast and to this conversation, um, 
Final thought. Where do we take it from here? Well, this is a complicated case, right? It's not straightforward. Daryl Richards was obviously having a problem. He had a replica gun. He allegedly pointed it at some people. And I think a lot of us at the beginning saw this as an open and shut case. But if you look behind the scenes, if you look a little deeper, there were some inconsistencies and some questions raised that make it clear that we need to do a lot more in the society to both prevent police officers from using deadly force when it's not necessary and to make sure we know exactly what happened and why after they do so. Thanks, Gil. And thanks to all of you for listening. This is the California Nation podcast. I'm Lauren Gutsis, Senator of the Bee. And this is Gil Duran joining me here, uh, Sacramento Bee Opinion Editor. Hey, see you next time.